This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Tonight I want to talk about overcoming criticism. And we're going to follow the journey of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in Babylon and the city of Jerusalem was in ruins. And he received permission from the king of Babylon to return to Jerusalem to gather the Jews who were in that area and to rebuild the wall. And very quickly, he gained progress. The people were so enthusiastic that they were able to build half the wall in a very short amount of time. And that's kind of the story we're at. But like anything, like your life, when God's given you a vision, He's given you a dream and an idea, there's a huge gap between the dream and the vision and turning it to action, taking those steps. And in the middle of those steps, criticism will happen. There's only one way to really be insulated from criticism. And that is just to um, not assert yourself, to not lead, to not initiate, to not try to make change. If you just live your, live a very safe, insulated life, then you'll never get criticized. But if you are going to follow God's vision for your life, somewhere along the line, I'm going to bet or guess Betting is not a good thing to do. You will get criticized. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Let's pray together. Father, I just ask that you would just do something really great in this teaching. That's what we want, Father. We're, we're not here just to pass the time. We're here because we believe insight from your scripture can change our lives. And Lord, I'm praying for those specifically, God, who, who their work has been halted because of criticism. Lord, there, there's some people in this service tonight that have heard critical words that have stopped your progress in their life. And Lord, I'm just asking that this wouldn't be just an ordinary teaching. This would just be a a destiny-launching teaching that would relaunch those, Lord, who have been stopped by unjust criticism. And Lord, we know that only You can do that work. We ask for You to do it in Jesus' name name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, because I speak in front of people a lot, uh, mainly you, uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll kind of go through this this um, exercise in my mind. I'll pick out my clothes for the next service. And I'm thinking just seven days prior, or just four days prior, and I have no idea what shirt I wore. And I just can't remember. And it really, really bothers me because I know you guys are looking at me for 30 and 40 minutes at a time. So I'll ask Beth, Beth, what, what, did I, what shirt did I wear? What jacket did I wear? What, what, what did I wear last week? She's like, I don't know. And I said, so I'll respond, but I, I really need to know because people are looking at me. And so she says something that is supposed to put me at ease. She says, Aaron, if people remember what you were wearing last week, they've got a bigger problem than you do. Now, I know that's not true because, you know, when you're staring at people, you remember these type of things. But I'm a little bit obsessed with that at times. And it's so interesting that I can't remember sometimes the shirt or the jacket I wore four days ago. But I can distinctly remember when my eighth grade science teacher said something critical about me. Isn't that something that we might not remember what we ate for lunch a couple of days ago. 
or where we placed our wallet, or when the last time we changed our oil. But we can remember criticism from 25 years ago and 30 years ago. And it's like we relive that in our mind. Now, not all criticism is bad. I have benefited from constructive criticism in my life. Then, while we're on the grooming issue, I remember getting criticized about grooming issues, and that seems to, to, to help propel us to a better presentation. I remember being criticized by one of my pastors. I referred to this earlier about not taking a day off. And my pastor met with me and said, Aaron, you have got to start taking a day off. And that really affected my life. And that criticism ended up being a positive thing in our life. And there's, there's times when, when criticism, when it's given in a constructive way or in a loving way, can be some, one of the best, best pieces of advice we ever get. But the type of criticism I'm talking about today is unjust criticism. And it's the type of, of criticism that, that sticks in our mind and sticks in our heart forever. It's almost like you know, when you think about a farm animal, the cattle that's been branded, and that burn stays with that animal forever. So it is sometimes when we get unjust criticism. We get branded and we get marked. And it just sticks with us forever and ever. And those words of criticism... They're like a CD that's stuck on the same song. And at the most inopportune times, those words come back. And we hear them over and over and over again. And they begin to mark us. So we follow the story tonight. We come to a place where Nehemiah and those who were under his leadership hit a point of criticism that was, that was very crucial in stopping the work. And I want us to look at verse 1. Of Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, When Sambalit heard that we were re- rebuilding the wall, you might remember he was in chapter 2 also, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Now look at this next line. He ridiculed the Jews. He ridiculed the Jews. So we see, when Sambalit heard that we were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah's vision was coming to pass. He became angry. I want you to write number one down on your notes. Here's some observations on criticism. God's success in you will anger people. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. As you begin to go deeper in the Lord, and He begins to transform you, and He begins to change you from the inside out, He begins to change your thoughts, your attitudes, your behavior, and you begin to manifest this change outside on the outside. It begins to change your habits. It begins to change your discretionary time. It changes your spending. It changes where you go. And not everybody likes that. When you begin to make choices in your life, to advance yourself, you make choices to get more involved in the things God wants to do. Not everybody who observes you going to a new level in God is... It's going to like that. And it actually makes people angry. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, we see it again. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard the repairs to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's walls, had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And if you really look at Sambalat back in chapter 2, 
he goes, he, he, he progresses to this point of being furious because of people's progress. And here's what happens. If you look again at verse 1 at the end, he ridiculed, he mocked the Jews. You know, it's oftentimes that the nature of criticism comes across as mocking and as ridicule. And people do that because they can shrug off the criticism. They say, oh, I was just, I was just joking. You know, they'll, they'll throw a real critical remark out and they, they see the hurt on your face or the disappointment. Oh, I'm just joking. Don't, don't, don't take me seriously. And, and often that is a tool for people to criticize. But here is the truth. The truth is this. Sambalat has no authority to stop the wall from being built. If you remember, the king had written letters and had given Nehemiah the king's authority to rebuild the wall. He had, he had the king's authority. So Sambalat and his friends, now I want you to pay attention to this, they could not legally stop the wall from being rebuilt. So what did they do? They criticized. Can I tell you this? When God gives you a vision, and when He plants it in your heart, and He tells you He's going to give you the strength to make it come to pass, nobody can stop that. Nobody has the authority to stop what God has called you to do. So if people don't have the authority to stop it, what will they do? They'll use criticism. They'll use criticism. And criticism will become like weights that are on you that keep you from moving forward. It has nothing to do with God's call. It has everything to, to do with people's anger and people's not, maybe lack of understanding of not wanting you to advance and not wanting you to, to do what God has called you to do. Here's the second thing that I want to observe about criticism. is criticism often manifest in a crowd. Criticism often manifests in a crowd. Verse 2 of Nehemiah 4 says, And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said this. Now this is very important because criticism has a way of growing with an audience. When, when we don't listen to critics... And then they don't have an audience, they, they tend to quiet down. But it says there, in the presence of the associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? This is an important verse because this verse 2, we're going to read this verse and it's going to support the next two or three points. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Criticism seems to have little huddles. And I've noticed something about huddles. You know, when when people kind of huddle around, there's only a couple of huddles that I can really think about that are good. Like basketball teams, that's good when they huddle. And prayer groups. Those are about the only two huddles I can think of. When I see sports teams huddling up, that's all right. When I see people huddling up to pray, that's all right. But most of the time, when, when people are like kind of huddling down, like, come on, come here, I want to talk to you about that. Most of the time, huge generalization here, it's a criticism. Because criticism seems to come alive in huddles. And that's why it's so important that, that 
we are positive influences on our little huddles and groups. And we watch out for that. And it's amazing. You know, we, we talk about the power of one bad attitude to spread. But it's amazing how one good attitude can change a whole group of people. One good attitude can change a whole network of people. One good attitude can spread also. So watch your huddles and make sure that they are prayer groups or sports teams. Prayer groups for this purpose. Number three, this. Criticism used generalizations, groupings, and labeling. Haven't you noticed that about criticism? Look In verse 2 again, he says, what are those feeble Jews doing? He just labeled a whole group, those feeble Jews. Putting them all in a group. All Jews are feeble. And that's what criticism does. Criticism generalizes. It groups people together. It labels people. We do it all the time. We, we label all types of groups. In the church world we do, we label denominations. Well, those type of people are that way or that church is that way. And it becomes, it, I see it happen like this all the time, is that it's easier for people to label a group than it is for them to understand them. Now, I had a friend uh, in Texas who is, is one of my dear friends, but uh, he, at this time of his life, he was rather immature, and, and he was a basketball ref for a little league team, uh, for a little league, I guess not a team, but for all the teams in the league. And he was refing this basketball, this basketball league, and I'd invited him to our church. And I said, hey, I'd love for you to come to my church. I was one of the associate pastors there. Would you come? He's like, no, I'm not coming to that church. I'm like, you're not even going to try it out? You're not even going to come hear me preach when it's my turn in the rotation? He's like, no. I'm like, why? Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you come to this church? We, we had grown up together and so forth. And he said, I'll tell you why. Because when I ref basketball, there's some parents from your church that are snobs. I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? And, and at that time, we had several hundred people at this church. I'm like, you're going to let one group of parents define for you a whole church. Now, the rest of the story is that group of parents did not even attend our church because criticism is usually inaccurate. But when we, when, when we are offended or choose to be offended and we have a lack of understanding, isn't it easy to just label a group than it is to really understand them? So we do that for other races. We do that for other other denominations. We do that for other churches. We do that for neighborhoods. We even do that for cities sometimes. People from that city are snobs. People from that city are, are lazy. And it's, it's just sloppy. It's sloppy criticism. Instead of really getting to know who people are. And, you know, as I'm sitting here discussing this with you, unfortunately I keep thinking of examples about churches. And maybe that's something we need to think about that we ought to get our focus a lot more on Jesus than we are in criticizing other churches and movements and, and, and other denominations and so forth. Because by doing that, by labeling people, it is a subtle form of criticism that we might not rec- recognize. Number three, criticism points out the obvious obstacles. Again, understand that as I'm talking about criticism, I'm talking about un- I'm I'm referring to unfair, unjust criticism. Uh, As a leader, uh, one of the lines that I'm constantly 
navigating is this, is that I, I get paid to be critical in a way. Uh, I am seeing how do we check in children? How is the flow of the service? How are we handling the money? And, and in a way, my leadership position, I have to look for problems and anticipate problems. But I'm not talking about that type of valid criticism. I'm talking about that line we navigate between healthy observation and a negative spirit and a negative criticism that is looking for the worst in a people or in a group. And when that negative criticism that I'm talking about always points out the obvious obstacles. Look again at verse 2. They ask a question at the end of this. Will they finish in a day? Are you kidding me? They're not going to finish the wall in a day. That would be impossible. That would be impossible with today's technology. Can they bring the stones back to life from the heap of rubble? Burned as they are? In this mocking, critical way, the criticism is pointing out the obvious. And it's like, no kidding. Most of us, when we receive criticism, we're very aware of what our critics say in a lot of, the, in a lot of cases. But here's the reason why criticism can be an unusually discouraging. Criticism usually has a trace of truth in it. The critic looks to our weakness. The critic looks to our tendencies. The critic looks to the things that we might not measure up in and they exploit that and they attack that. And when, when Sam Bollett and his friends said, who are these feeble Jews? The truth is, in some ways they were feeble. It was a broken down nation under captivity. When they said, they can't complete this in, the, in a day, that was very true. That was very obvious. But because that criticism was heat, and that criticism was, like, was a part of an attack, that which was obvious became hurtful and discouraging. But here's where criticism is a lie. Because even though it points out the obvious, and it points out partial truth and a trace of truth, it's not the complete truth. Because the critic forgets one very, very important component. And it's this. What God says. What God has put in your heart. Because we serve a God who fills in the gaps. We serve a God who gives strength where we are weak. We serve a God who can do the impossible. He can make the impossible possible. And so one of the things the critics don't realize about you is who you have on your side. The critics only see your limitations, but they don't see the possibilities of the God you serve. The critics only understand the data. They don't understand the promise from God. They don't have the whole picture. And so because they don't have the whole picture, they state the obvious. And that's why you have to listen to the voice of God, not the voice of the critic. You have to rehearse the promises of God, not the voice of the critic. You have to get into the Word of God, not into what the critic says. Because what God says is final. And those who criticize you, they don't recognize what God has said. Discouragement and criticism is a powerful weapon because it's the opposite of faith. Faith is about believing for what you can't see. Criticism is about pointing out what you can see. Faith is about believing what God can do. Criticism is about observing what has happened. And so that is why it's so powerful because it's the opposite of faith. So if you are 
being burdened down by criticism, what do you need to do? Increase your faith. Get in an atmosphere of faith. Get around people full of faith. Uh, begin to get into your Scripture. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Worship the Lord. Put on worship CDs. Increase your faith because your faith, your faith will build you up and will build up what God has said about you. What the critic says about you will continue to tear down, tear down, and tear down over and over again. Whenever God gives you a vision, there's a great gap. And here's, here's a great gap. The gap is between what he says and how it's going to happen. That's the huge gap. For whatever reason, if we, if we had time tonight to uh, go through this biblically, you could see all through the Bible, God sends his word, God sends his promise, and then there's this huge gap between what he says and how it's going to happen. He tells you what, he tells you what to do, but he waits to tell, tells you how it's going to happen. And there's this huge gap. And that's exactly where the critic comes in. The critic begins to question you in the gap. And they begin to question exactly what you're wondering too. How is this going to happen? How is this going to take place? Andy Stanley, he, this is a wonderful quote, so it won't be, it won't be on your uh, overhead, so listen closely. He says, perhaps your vision is drawing criticism because of the gaps. The very gap I just spoke about. A God-ordained vision, listen to this, always has more questions than answers. So the people around you are questioning your vision to death. They don't come right out and criticize you. They just ask you a lot of how questions. Has that ever happened to you? People don't normally like come out and say, that's a stupid plan. You can never make that happen. They don't say, uh, how could you hear from God instead? They're like, so tell me, how is that going to come past? Tell me, what is your plan? And they ask all the how questions, and it's a subtle form of criticism. Maybe it's done out of love, and I'm not, I'm not saying we don't need those type of questions in our life, but I'm just suggesting that we have to be very careful that that voice does not overpower the voice of God. Here's number five. Criticism predicts failure. <laughs> Criticism predicts failure. That's why it has the potential, if we let it, to have too much power in our lives. Verse 3 of Nehemiah 4. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, he just joined in in the mocking, said, what they are building, if even a fox climbs up on it, he would break down the wall of stones. He would break down their wall of stones. I mean, can you just hear that mocking tone? Even if a little bitty fox climbed on that wall, it would break it. And all types of people in your life, when God gives you a vision, will say that. You know what? That's not going to come to pass. That's not going to work. They're going to speak failure over your life. They're going to speak doom over your life. And that has, if we let it, a power because we begin to believe the voice of man instead of holding on to the voice of God. Can I just tell some of you, I want to speak very pointedly to some of your hearts right now. Some of you have had words of doom spoken over you. I mean, you've had a declaration over your life where people have said, they've said, you won't amount to this, this marriage won't work. They've just spoken doom over you. I just want to tell you right now, 
that that is not the voice of God. That that person, whoever it is, whether there's someone in your life right now or there's someone who's been in your life in the past, they don't have power over you like God has power over you. And it's what He says that will come to pass. And don't rehearse. Don't sit there and, and listen to people. Listen to people say your next business will fail again. Listen to people say you're always going to perpetually fall to the sin. People say this marriage won't work. It was a bad match in the beginning. Those voices, they might be the voice of a parent. They might be the voice of a boss. They might be the voice of an ex-spouse. But you're hearing their voice, but what it really is, it's the voice of the enemy. It's the enemy of your soul that the, the, the enemy is using those words of criticism to try to stop God's vision in your life. But that will not come to pass as you focus on Him. I want to share two things with you before we close tonight's teaching of how you can respond to criticism and to other attacks in your life. First one is this. And we've already touched on this, but number one, recognize criticism as a strategy from the enemy. I think sometimes that we uh, don't really recognize because criticism comes across in human form, with human voice, with words that are very familiar, that it is the enemy of our souls that are trying, trying to wound us, trying to speak against God's plan for us, and we don't fully recognize that. In this case, in Nehemiah's case, Sambalat and his friends, they were very strategic in their criticism. Okay, this wasn't just uh, words. They, were, you know, they weren't just going out and just mocking them as a sport just to have fun. They were very, very deliberate in the words they used. Look at verse 8 of Nehemiah 4. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. See, this, this was not just a simple uh, mocking time. This was a, this was a um, strategic attack, a collaboration of, of words. And those words would end up to, with weapons also. Stop progress. And you need to understand that in your life. That the enemy is going to use criticism to stop progress in your life. And look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 12, if you remember, Revelation is a book about what will happen. Revelation has not happened yet. It will happen. And so this very uh, cumbersome verse, stick with me here because it has a huge, huge truth. It's talking about what is going to happen to Satan the power of darkness, the power of evil. It says, that great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. Now look at this line. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. Look at the beginning, uh, uh, back in verse 10 again to the previous slide. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The author of criticism, the one who accused you, the one who says your sins will always 
debilitate you. The one who says your weaknesses will always get you in trouble. The one who continues to make you feel self-conscious about your personality and about your demeanor and about what you've accomplished in your life and and wants to make you think, oh, you've wasted your life and your life isn't significant. That is the work of Satan himself. Can I tell you, your life is significant. Your life means something. Don't listen to what the enemy has to say. He'll use He'll use the world. He'll use the, the, the advertising agencies of this world. I mean, do you understand the advertising agencies, how, how they are trying to get us to buy a lie that our life is insignificant because we don't have enough beauty, we're not fit enough, we're not rich enough, we don't drive a, a, a nice enough car? I mean, that is a lie. That's the accuser of our souls. Satan himself wants to think that your life's not significant. If you don't have a significant other, if you don't have the type of marriage you imagine, and and that your life is somehow missing something, can I tell you there's an all-sufficiency in Christ that if you have a relationship with Christ, He is your everything. He is your complete uh, joy. He is your complete fulfillment. He is everything you need. And that voice of of criticism doesn't come from God. God's calling you higher. He's saying more faith, more prayer, more anointing, more peace, more joy, more of my fruit in your life. That's what God's saying to you. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. Is while fighting criticism, don't stop your work. While fighting criticism, don't stop your work. Now, you know, if we're going to be super analytical here, Part of this one sermon could say, or one point could say, well, don't fight criticism, ignore it, and perhaps that is right, but, but um, let's just go with this. Um, you know, anytime there's a principle given, uh, you know, those principles ha- ha- have double edges, uh, but we'll just let the Holy Spirit sort that out. Nehemiah 4.16, go to verse 16, says this, From that day on, I love this analogy, half of my men did the work, this is Nehemiah speaking, while the other half were equipped with spears, Shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah. Here's what can happen. I, I love this analogy. Half the men worked while half the men guarded the work. And sometimes we can get so obsessed with our critics. And like, I can't believe they're saying that. Can you believe what they're saying? Can you believe how they're accusing us? We can get so obsessed with the critics that we stop wor- working on the wall. We stop building the wall. Or we can build the wall and we can be so busy, I'll oh, forget the critics, and we, we might not recognize that this is a collaborated attack against us and that the enemy is pressing in on every side. And so we have to work and guard. Work and guard. And I just want to tell you that as, as, if you are under undue criticism, as we have recognized this, the source of this, the source is the enemy. That you don't have to stand for that. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against the person who's criticizing you. Because that person might not even realize that the enemy's using them. That person might not even realize what those words mean. It's a spiritual battle. And so you're not to fight or hate the critic. You hate the source of the criticism. That's the enemy. The accuser of the brethren. The one who wants to accuse you day and night before God. Can I tell you, because of Jesus, His accusations don't stick. 
Because of Jesus, we are clean, we are pure, we are holy, not because of anything we've done, but because of the work of the cross. What Jesus did on the cross has made us complete in Him. We have everything we need. Everything we need. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, you spoke strongly tonight. I think I I know that. I felt that in my spirit that the Lord the Lord was speaking tonight. The Lord wants you to know that He was speaking tonight. This wasn't Aaron tonight. This wasn't Aaron's opinion. This was the Lord speaking to you. Some of you He's speaking right to your spirit right now. And He's saying to you, No more, no more pause. No more pause in the work. You are not crippled by criticism. The Lord says you are not crippled by criticism. Thank you, Lord, for your voice. I just want us to, to hear his voice. Hear his voice right now. Hear his voice. If you feel comfortable, just put your hands over your ears. Right, now. No one's looking right now. as just a sign of faith. Say, Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your voice. And just as a sign of that, Lord, we want to hear what you want to say. We want to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say. Father God, we ask that the ears that we have, the spiritual ears, Lord, would hear what you want to say. Father, I pray, Lord, as as we symbolically, Lord, many of us are I have our hands on our ears, God. We pray that nothing the enemy wants to say, nothing he wants to accuse us of, Lord, would stick. But God, I pray that those words from him would bounce off, would leave us, and instead let the words of the Lord be clearer than ever before, directly into our spiritual ears, into our spirit. We believe that. You can put your hands down now. I'm going to ask that our, our, our prayer team would go back to the back wall there where the clock is. And here in a moment, we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to dismiss and we're going to get our children. But I, I know that there's some other needs here here tonight. Uh, maybe you just need someone to agree with you in prayer uh, for a breakthrough in your life. It may not have anything to do with criticism. You just need God to show up. You need God to do something. I, I want to share one just really neat thing. I went to the uh, Mosley 242 group uh, Sunday night. had a beautiful experience there. And uh, Lee Mosley, as he was leaving the group at the end, he said, I was going through my... Facebook thread on prayer requests and he's like guys almost everything we prayed for God has answered and I went yes isn't that what you know you know sometimes we forget that God has answered our prayers we forget that God has come through and what a great celebration that is so let me pray for you father as we have prayed as we declared Lord I pray God that uh, we would be sharper because of your word tonight sharper to hear from you I pray God that this teaching would change some destinies here. God, it would change the destinies. And Lord, that you would start progress again. You would start up again, Lord. Just, just you, would, you would move people towards your destiny in God. And we believe it's going to happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you and Jesus loves you. And I'll see you this Sunday. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.